Hi there, and welcome again to this episode of the Driving You Crazy Podcast. We have a jam-packed episode for you today. Jam-packed, Joseph. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor, Jason Luber. I'm pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters, and strawberry jam is packed in glass jars. How about the boysenberry? Blackberry? Huckleberry? I only know him as Finn. There you go. Last week, we talked about the horribleness that is happening over at the Denver Public Library. I was over in that area again yesterday, and much of which I saw firsthand, that horribleness. I just read a story at the end of last week, right after we talked about it here on the podcast, that the Denver Police Department has begun patrolling the Central Library, saying there's been a spike in drug use and illegal activity. You think? A spike? Beautiful. Huh. Library officials are crediting the increased presence of police and other safety measures with a significant decrease in illegal activity. You think? Mm -hmm. Police around illegal activity makes it go down? The downtown library has also added cameras, waste cleanup around the building, and stocked overdose kits on site. Well, that's comforting. Typically, police have only uh, been visiting the library when they're called, you know, when nine one somebody dials 911 or somebody says, hey, there's something shady going on over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of the library visitors, including me, said that drug use is still frequent in the bathrooms. I saw some shady stuff going on over there. And one person said this year's drug use has been the worst they've ever seen it. The library closed the bathrooms on the two floors. I saw a sign. It, it was, and this was, this was what was strange for me. When I went to the elevator, they have a sign. It's like a permanent, it's not like a temporary sign that somebody wrote on a piece of paper and said, hey, the uh, bathrooms on floors three and two are, are not working, so you have to use something else. I mean, it was a, it was a made sign. It was a on-purpose sign. Engraved in yeah, gold. Exactly. So they closed a couple of bathrooms on some floors to try to combat the issue, but uh, reducing the number of bathrooms from 12 to 8 doesn't really help. I mean, maybe to allow security to check the bathrooms a little bit more frequently, um, but still, it's not good. I'm hoping that it's going to get better. Right. I mean, the library is still considering different approaches, including employing monitors to stand outside the bathrooms as well. And, and as for somebody who's not into drug use, uh, I would appro- I would approve that. Yeah, I mean, it's more money, though, or more volunteer well, sure. bodies, and that's where the real problem comes in, because it's already hard enough to find people to staff the library. It's not like it's one of the best-paying jobs in the city, especially if your job's going to be bathroom attendant. No, but if you have to deal with all that drug use, maybe those per- people should get a lot of money. You know, and p- but part of the problem here is that city has really done nothing to help out the, the homeless and address the illegal drug problem and, and get those addicts the help they need. I mean, look, to be frank, the, the addicts that are living on the street, they don't really want help. They're, they're so lost in their world of addiction that they, they really prefer to live that way. And, and they're living that way rather than wanting to live a clean and sober life. And some are able to get out, but most aren't. And there are a few with mental illnesses, but most are addicts. And that's their issue. And there, there are ways to handle the problem, but this is not the... How to Handle the Homeless and Drug-Addicted Person podcast, so I don't know. Maybe I should move on. Probably, but to your point, I think, you know, a lot of people need to hit a moment of clarity before they really move on, and some people hit thousands of moments of clarity in their life without ever having any of them take hold and make a significant difference, and unfortunately, the city, you know, you can't put the taxpayers on the hook 
to send everybody to a rehab and really detox them for 120 days and get them to the place that they need to be. Like, that's just not fair to the taxpayers. And so instead, I think we've all sort of mutually agreed to live with these problems of these people sleeping in the parks and causing problems and people with mental illness running down Spear Boulevard with a cane and threatening our reporters for no reason other than there's something not right in their head. And I think that's really a tragic way to live, but I also don't know that there's any solution out there that's cost effective. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, moving furniture generally sucks, right? Absolutely. Uh, especially if you don't own a pickup truck or have a friend who has a pickup truck, because then you have to ask your, you know, find somebody with a van or a pickup truck to help you move. Okay. So if you're moving, yes. right, and you ask somebody for help, and three months later that same person asks for your help to move, you have to do it, right? Well, of course. That's bad karma. Well, it's just, hey, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. A person in our newsroom seriously considered not helping the person who helped them move. I was a little floored. I think she wound up coming around, but there was a real discussion about whether or not that was too much of a karma violation. Oh, so it was a woman who had somebody else, probably a guy, help her move, and then she didn't want to reciprocate. Correct. Uh, He's moving into his new house, and she was like, well, yeah. Is her name Molly? No. Oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> I'm looking out for you, Molly. I'm not going to throw you under the bus like that. Well, there's a new company called Fetch, and they want to be there for those moments when you need to transport something that won't fit into the trunk of an Uber XL. Now, the service allows users to easily rent trucks or vans. Let's say you just need it for a few hours. You can easily do that. And It's launching first in Atlanta. The founders of the company looked at solving a problem that they themselves had experienced, moving some stuff quickly without a hassle. And the company launched a pilot truck rental service in October to prove whether this was a viable concept. And with a couple of trucks, they determined that the demand was there. So just as popular car renting services simplify day trips, if you want to go get one of those car share things, well, Fetch is supposed to take the headaches and paperwork out of easily grabbing a truck to go move something. So pricing depends on the type of vehicle you're looking to get, ranging from pickup trucks to high-roof cargo vans. But on average, the prices are around 10 to 20 bucks an hour or 50 to 100 bucks a day, which is pretty reasonable. I think that's a lot less than the U-Haul. And the service allows users to find the truck closest to them and then unlock the car with their smartphone using the hardware that the team created themselves. So while there are plenty of similarities between renting cars and trucks, there's also some key areas where this fetch service allows the company to have some advantages. One of the founders says... If you look at the car-sharing model, the biggest problem those companies face is damage and repairs because if someone's running, a, let's say, a BMW, they want a nice, clean car that doesn't have any damage on it. But trucks are for getting the job done, and people generally don't care if there's a ding on it as long as the truck feels safe, right? So for now, the company is focusing on using vans and trucks that the company owns. They're launching a fleet of 15 vehicles. They're hoping to add four or five trucks a month. And the lean team of three is focusing on getting everything set up there in Atlanta for now, but is scoping out other nearby locations to expand at a later date. So does Fetch own the trucks? Or yes. Fetch, so they're Fetch-branded trucks. Right. So this really isn't that much different from a Home Depot model where you go rent their truck or their van Similar. for a day. Right. But these are going to be like the car share ones where you'll go find it in some parts of the city, and then you go rent. you just go rent that truck like you would a car to go. See, because I thought this was every Yahoo with a Ford F-150 was going to put their truck up on Fetch and just let people <laughs> rent it, right? No, yeah, but, we, but maybe that's another model, something like that, where you have Uber Fetch. 
something like that. Now, I've never used these car sharing services, but it's something I would be interested in, especially if I, I could easily just show up and, and get in one of these cars or trucks or vans or whatever and move some stuff. I, I hate the process of going over to U-Haul and having to rent the truck and deal with their stuff. It's about time that a service like this was started by some smart people, and eventually they did it, which is great. Right. I think the issue is, of course, if they run out of trucks. And where, like, you have to go pick up the truck somewhere in the city, but you would think if Fetch owns all of the trucks that it would just be in a Fetch warehouse. I I don't see them being able to scale, personally. Well, listen, Atlanta is huge. That's so true. So imagine Denver as the 470 ring around Denver. Okay. Imagine there's stuff like along Broadway or Colorado Boulevard. There's stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Businesses and and all and apartments and all that stuff. Imagine the entire ring inside 470 around the entire thing, full of stuff. The whole thing. That's Atlanta. It is all full of stuff. Yeah, Atlanta. And it's and it's expanding out from the ring. It is ridiculously. So much bigger than Denver right now. Also, the schools are terrible. Sorry, yeah. Atlanta. There you go. Hey, I, 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 I did my some fine time there in old Atlanta and Sandy Springs. Anyway, so what do you think is better, owning a car or only using transit? For you, maybe only using transit. For me, only using transit. Now, sure. owning a car is pretty expensive when you figure out the cost of buying it, the plates, the maintenance, the gas. And, and in some towns, it may seem more and more old-fashioned to own a car as more people are living in cities where it's not even necessary. Denver is kind of becoming that way Mm -hmm. the website called mike.com says american households spend an average of nine thousand five hundred and three dollars on transportation needs and look at the cost of my two cars we spend about twelve thousand a year and that includes payments on the cars uh gas oil changes license plates insurance we don't have expensive cars we lease a rogue and i have a 2014 chevy volt that i bought but i'm still making payments on it and it so it's not like we have super expensive vehicles, but still, that's a lot of money. And I just got a, a notice in the mail for my license plates on my Volt. It's going to be four hundred bucks. Yep, we got the old car tax letter too, and that was two hundred and fifty for us. And we, unfortunately, were not savvy enough to know that that was coming. So it was a nice little two hundred fifty dollars surprise in the mail. Yeah. So if you make, let's say, fifty grand, folks like Susie Orman and, and those sort of people, they say you should spend about let's say a sixth of your yearly uh, household budget on transportation so if you make 50 grand you should spend maybe what seven or eight thousand dollars on transportation it seems like a lot of money to me and what about people who don't own cars well mike.com says the people typically spend 10 percent of their income on public transportation but what they don't tell you is that you also spend a lot of time your free time really waiting on that public transportation to get you where you need to go in 2015, they say the annual average public transportation budget for for the household was six hundred and sixty one dollars. That I could, hey, I would love to do that and save ten grand yeah. a year. That's I, I could do a lot of things with ten thousand dollars. But you know what? For a lot of people, time is money. For me, time is money. And you know what? It's it's not worth my time wasting it on the public transport, waiting for the train, waiting for the bus, going for connections. I'd rather spend that time with my kids. Frankly, if your if your main if your primary bus stop isn't five minutes from where you live and five minutes from where you're going, it's not worth it. Yeah, that that I fall exactly into that category. So, what about geography? How does that affect costs? Well, Value Penguin, great website, is it? 
I don't know. It's my favorite kind of penguin. It's got, got a great name. Calculated public transit cost from Mike.com is a percentage of median income for cities across the U.S. And San Francisco public transit came out on top for affordable uh, transit, mostly thanks to having a higher median income, while Los Angeles and Miami came in at the bottom. And even for those cities, commuting costs were only a small fraction of the total income, less than 10%. What all this information from Mike.com doesn't tell you is, yeah, it does cost a lot less to ride the bus or the train, but that's because the taxpayer is subsidizing it. It comes out of your sales tax money. You could actually have that money back. And for me, time is precious. So it's worth it for me to have a car. One, I I drive to work at 3 o'clock in the morning, and and I like to spend all that extra time with my family and my kids because, you know what, I'm I'm not going to be on my deathbed recalling all the wonderful times i spent with with the folks on the bus nope i'm gonna spend all that i'm gonna i'm gonna recall all the time i spent with my kids and my family and doing fun things i will always remember the time i almost watched the guy get murdered on the bus that was a great day and i will tell my grandkids about that (laughs) other than that no i don't have many fond memories of the bus and the other thing i wanted to point out walk downtown in denver colorado on a friday night and try to find somebody who's driving their own vehicle you won't really they're all ubers all of them. Interesting. Yep. Well, that's obviously, and most of the folks, though, that are out and about on a Friday night are younger folks. They're not me with a couple of kids and, and uh, you know, pushing 50. So uh, Right. I mean, the math's a lot different in the suburbs and in other parts of the city, but just in downtown Denver, and not in, like, a little bit further out, too. You include the Golden Triangle, Lodo, Rhino, all that wonderfully named nonsense. <laughs> all Ubers. Interesting. Well, that's the future. That is the future. And then you'll have self-driving Ubers and... Nobody don't have cars anymore. Uh, so imagine a future where your Uber uh, it has a couple of tires on it, has a whole full set of four tires, uh, where the tire is also a wheel and it's puncture-proof because there's no pressure in it. Uh, imagine this concept future tire wheel tread deal would instantly adjust to your driving conditions. It would be made of recycled materials, completely recycled at the time its life ends, and after having covered thousands and thousands of miles on the same vehicle they came with. It sounds amazing. Well, Michelin has created a prototype of this wheel, and since this is a podcast, I'm going to try to describe what it looks like. Now, you know what it looks like when you blow bubbles into a small tube or a space, right? All those different angles. It almost—it looks like cells, right, that are all kind of pushing together, but some are a little bit bigger than others, and they're all pushing together. Well, it's, it's more densely packed in the center on this, this wheel and more spacious closer to the tread that looks similar to a normal tire tread, but it looks more like a tread from, let's say, a high-tech running shoe, actually. And the Michelin people say that you can think of this as a combination of three different parts. First, it's a wheel with no air. It's designed to last as long as a vehicle lasts. Yeah, never have to get a new set of tires again. It's ultra-durable. They say it comes from this honeycomb structure that they made, which is inspired by natural forms that mimics the natural growth process in plants, minerals, sometimes even like, like coral. And that's what it does look like. It looks like a bunch of cells that are all together. Okay. It's made of this recycled material, and it is also still fully recyclable. Next, they say, it's a tread with a very distinctive future, and that it can be replenished by a 3D printer. The material used draws on this cold cure technology, and it delivers the same performance as a conventional tread, but the one notable difference is that it's completely biodegradable. So the advantage of this is, let's say, all right, let's say your tire's tread is worn out, and maybe the road conditions have changed a little bit, so you're driving off-road in the rain, the snow, the heat, whatever. You can print a new tread for your tire in a matter of minutes, 
And, and what's more cool, the 3D printing is an additive technology, which, which means that it adds just the quantity of material that's necessary where it is necessary on that wheel so there's no extra waste or loss, which is mind-blowing. And lastly, Michelin Visionary Concept is connected. It, it says it communicates with your vehicle and your vehicle communicates with, with this wheel. Without getting out of your car or even leaving your home, you could be informed on the wear on your tread and program the tread reprint choosing the type of tread pattern you need at that particular time for your intended tire use. So let's say it's going to be raining that day, then you have your tread that's good for rain. If it's just going to be dry, then have a good dry tread. So simply by following the suggestions made by the app there, which is connected to the tire, it detects your requirements and then and then helps you out. It's it's that's revolutionary. It sounds very expensive. It's hard to believe. Yeah, it does sound very expensive. I'm sure with time it's going to get less expensive, mm-hmm. but it is something I think is just truly revolutionary in the industry. It would make driving in an autonomous vehicle a lot safer, wouldn't you think? You wouldn't have to worry about it crashing in in case of a flat because it wouldn't have a flat. Wouldn't have a blowout. Well, and the concept of having to get a, have a second pair of snow tires would be obsolete as well. Right. Because you, because your tire, because it makes, the 3D printer makes your snow tire tread, yeah. which is amazing. Just, it's, you know what? Technology is wonderful and amazing and scary all at the same time. Usually all at the same time. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time for a quick break. Coming up, there's a special kind of insurance that men can buy in Japan. And I think you'll be really surprised what it is to protect against. That story and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. More of the Driving You Crazy podcast in a moment. Everyone is just so just nice. Everywhere you go, people are willing to teach you about things. So if I happen upon a scene or a neighborhood where I don't know anything about it, I'm walking around, you know, uh, looking confused. A lot of people come over and they're like, oh, you're obviously not from around here, which is a conversation that a lot of people have, considering that so many people are moving to the Denver metro area. Everyone's just willing to uh, kind of include you. And I think that that's the biggest thing is feeling included, no matter where you come from, whether it is Waco or whether it is uh, Casper, Wyoming. And I'm from San Francisco originally. A lot of people are coming to visit me here and they love it. It's something that they don't experience anywhere else. Amanda Del Castillo, only on Denver 7. People say, you get up at 2 in the morning to do this? You must get used to that by now. No. We hate getting up at 2 in the morning. We hate being here at 3 a.m. Except we like our jobs and we like the people we're working with. And we have a lot of fun. We should probably sell tickets to the show during the commercial break. We couldn't air all that material, could we? But it's still a lot of fun. And we're just committed to making sure that, you know, you get your, you started off on your day correctly. So it's worth it to us to get in here before the sun even comes up to put it all together for you. Mitch Jelnicker, only on Denver 7. Welcome back to the Driving You Crazy podcast, where we get you from here to there, safer than a truck hauling some slimy eels. Do we? Maybe the uh, trucker was listening to some of this music that we're playing here in the coming out of the break. But maybe not. Uh, it, that was one of the most disturbing videos, though, that we showed on TV this week. I'm a big fan of it. I'm not going to lie, obviously. It's great television. It was slimy and frothy and milky. Straight out of Ghostbusters. I mean, it was it was nasty flowing out of that truck and then basically through that car. 
that was there on the road. I, I, could you imagine the smell? No, I'm good. I try not to imagine things like that. Honestly, that's a scene, if you were there, that's a scene where nightmares are created. I mean, uh, that that's like worse than a Stephen King novel, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, New York area transit commuters are still trying to deal with what's been billed as the summer of hell. They're getting some help, though, from a Long Island bishop. His name is John Barris, who is posting daily one-minute spiritual messages on a video blog. The Diocese of Rockville Center says the bishop is aware that commuters are facing challenges getting to and from New York City this summer. Maybe it's working! Because after the first week of these spiritual messages, a few widespread problems have been reported. Just give it time, New Yorkers. Just give it time. You'll soon be whining your head all the way to and from work every day. And if not, you'll have plenty of spiritual messages to listen to to help ease your pain. As traffic in Saigon gets progressively worse, the authorities there say they are considering a handful of solutions to ease congestion, like making an adjustment to the office hours of all the government offices and some businesses operating in the city. Can you believe that? Trying to change the business hours and and government office hours? The idea is to minimize instances where many commuters are on the road all at the exact same time. Transport officials suggest that school hours, office hours, and supermarket opening times should be changed from 8 a.m., 8.30, and 9 a.m. respectively. What, what about King Supers? They open, they're open 24 hours, I was going to say, supermarket times. I didn't realize that was regulated by the government in that country. I guess it is. However, changing the opening hours of local schools and businesses is not exactly a novel solution. I mean, at the moment, schools in Saigon already follow different schedules, specifically high school kids. They start their first lesson at 7 a.m. Primary kids don't begin until 7.30. And, and basically, changing the start times by an hour isn't going to do a whole lot. The plan to implement this change on a larger scale is not receiving the warmest of welcome, Saigon's traffic problems have been noticeably worse in recent years due to the rapid growth there. And you really can't tell a business, I don't think, when to open and when to close. I mean, maybe in North Korea you can. Well, do any of their businesses open? I think you can definitely tell businesses what to do in North Korea. (laughs) Haven't you seen the interview where it's just a bunch of shadow grocery stores that look really nice, and then you go inside and it's a big empty building? Off topic, that fascinates me, looking at all those smuggled videos that come in from North Korea. Uh, all the people that do that, it just it's fascinating to me. Well, and you think about how much money the tourism industry in North Korea is actually raking in because you can convince stupid Americans that it's a great idea to go to this, you know, basically hermit kingdom terrorist country that we really have no business being a part of. Right. It's it's I I would want to go, but I don't want to go just because of my own safety and my own stupidity. I would not want to go just because I don't see the appeal. Like, at least with Cuba, you got beaches. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's a lot of history there. There's a lot of interesting things in Cuba. North Korea, you got a wasteland. I want to go to Cuba. I was, tell- I was talking to my wife about maybe going one of those cruises to Cuba for my 50th in a couple of years. I support it. But then I was thinking, all right, I'm going to be with my kids, my little girls. They'll be, what are they now, five, six, seven. They'll be like seven and nine at the time. And they won't care about. They don't understand the the cultural significance of going to Cuba. Nope. They don't. They don't care about how how that what that would be like. They just care about hitting the water and the beach and having some fun at a lazy river or something like that. You don't even have to leave Colorado to find a lazy river. I know. Yeah. I know. That's the thing. Yeah. Anyway, so back to this other uh, story there out of um, Saigon. Humans were designed basically to sleep at night and be awake during the day. 
Thus, working hours for most people accommodate that reality. Trying to take a certain number of businesses and make them open overnight and then have some other ones open during the day, it would only work in a dictatorship or areas controlled by ISIS. But they don't have any business to uh, really experiment with. I mean, they don't even have any land at this point. ISIS? Oh, yeah. No, they're in big trouble. Uh, School hours are typically set around the basic 9 to 5, so parents working uh, on uh, their regular schedules. When the school system is in session, the parents, they will work around it, right? They'll try to change their shifts maybe a little bit if the school kids are, are, let's say, going in at 8 or getting picked up at 3, whatever the case may be, right? But they try to work it around their work hours. If Denver schools, let's say, started at 10 a.m., then one of the parents would most likely have to drop them off at the school early and then maybe let the before-school care take care of them before school starts so then they can head to work at their regular 9 o'clock time. I don't think a lot of businesses are going to change their work hours just because the school hours have changed or the government hours have changed. I mean, Or one parent might go in at the regular time. The other one has to adjust their schedule to drop off the kid or wait for the bus at that new time. Congestion really remains, it's just at different times of the day. Fewer people is the only way, really sure way, of less congestion. I, I, I guess I don't really see this going anywhere. I thought it was a silly idea. It is kind of a silly idea. I mean, for me, it's a foreign concept that everybody works a 9 to 5 because I grew up with a mother who was a nurse and worked odd hours because of her nursing schedule. And I really have never had a true 9 to 5 job until these last couple of months. So... For me, the the thought of moving your shift around is just a natural one. It's just part of life, you know. At the same time, going to your point about less people is the only way to assure less congestion. This seems like a great time to move to Wyoming, right? Well, yeah. There's no congestion in Wyoming, and you know it'll come. And the the real estate there is going to get more expensive when the people flock to Wyoming because there's nowhere else to live. Well, the saying. only thing about Wyoming is that it is really windy, and there's there's a reason there's a lot of open spaces in Wyoming. There's a reason there's a lot of people that haven't moved there just yet. Is Wyoming a bad example? Should we? use kansas instead well it's, i mean same thing you know what really where people want to live it's about recreation and it's about climate i mean that's really what's driving where you're going to live right. here the climate is actually a lot better than what people think that we're snowed in from september to may but well and that's not really the case but the recreation here is fantastic better than even in wyoming because of the way our mountains are set up absolutely and we have the plains and the mountains and then you look at all the recreation that you could do in california that's why it's popular same thing in southern uh in uh, southern arizona why it's so popular and there's a lot of yeah if people will put up with the heat same thing in Las Vegas. They'll put up with the heat because there's great recreation there. And, I mean, it's different recreation for different folks, though. Yeah. I mean, if you like the mountains, Las Vegas is a terrible place to live. If you like beaches, Las Vegas is a terrible place to live. But if you like beaches, Denver's a terrible place to live, too, because they just aren't here. I mean, why do you think there's nobody living in Amarillo? Does that hurt? <laughs> I, I don't know nothing about Amarillo. You tell me. <laughs> Went through there one time on my way to Atlanta slash Miami for the Super Bowl. Ah, I was driving through. Plenty of people living in Miami. I'll yes. tell you that much. Well, Japanese trains are internationally famous for three things. Being amazingly punctual, being amazingly crowded, <laughs> and distressingly the place where men grope female passengers. The second and the third characteristics are related, since these men often take advantage of the packed conditions to make it harder for their victim to identify or confront them. So these commuter trains in urban Japan, especially in the Tokyo area, are some of the worst because they are so incredibly crowded at rush hour. Millions of people heading into downtown at, at all times a day, really. Odds are you're going to be pressed up against your fellow passengers on all sides. They say that sometimes the conditions are so tight 
it's almost hard to breathe. And at each stop, the mass of humanity shifts and moves. And as people slide out of the doors, the others jam themselves into the car carriage. As you're jostling around, you might find yourself pinned up against somebody else. Your arm is pinned to the side of somebody standing right next to you. And on some unlucky occasions, your hand can end up lying against a stranger's body with no chance of moving it until some people around you exit the train. And on especially unlucky occasions, that stranger might think you put your hand there, especially if it's a female, on purpose and accuse you of groping them and then call the police. The problem is the gropers mingle with the general male passengers so the unsuspecting women don't know who they can trust. So in an effort to alleviate this problem, some train operators in major Japanese cities have designed certain passenger cars as being for female passengers only. And now a recent survey, when asked whether trains should include cars for men only, the majority of women that were asked, 74% said yes. The question said, should men only train cars be introduced? Yes was 61%, absolutely yes was 13 no was 25 and absolutely not was a half of a percent. While roughly the same proportion of men were strongly in favor of all male cars, overall the concept was less popular with male respondents. 65% said they agreed with the idea of men-only cars. Yes was 51%, absolutely yes, 14%. No was 31%, but absolutely not was 4.3%. That probably represents the perverts right there. Women say they felt that all male cars would decrease the likelihood of groping. Meanwhile, men, who liked the idea of having a car just for the guy, said they would benefit by eliminating the chance that a woman might mistakenly interpret inadvertent physical contact in a crowded train as them purposely groping or trying to cop a feel. It's worth pointing out, though, that women-only cars in Japan are voluntary. The women can choose between using the women-only cars or using a mixed-gender car. The groping epidemic apparently has led to a major insurance provider in Japan to create false accusation insurance. It's a, this is stunning to me. The plan has been selling well since it first came out, and the policy's selling point is that the possibility of clearing up false accusations is available to you before having to go to trial. The idea of false accusation insurance may seem odd, but the company says men who commute on Japan's crowded rail lines face some measure of risk just being mistaken as a groper every day, because that could ruin your reputation, right? Well, I mean, heaven forbid the gropers get called gropers, though. You know what I mean? I mean, this doesn't really address the fact that there are plenty of guys who are actually groping women who are using the I didn't do it defense to try to make themselves look good or to try to save face when in reality they're just disgusting. Well, yeah. They are. Well, policyholders, they register what they do. is They register their smartphone number with a company. And then should they be unjustly accused, they can send a distress email at the press of a single button. Once that message is sent, a lawyer will contact the policyholder and advise him on how to deal with the situation without unwittingly and incorrectly incriminating himself. And the insurance covers all of the attorney's cons- consultation fees for 48 hours following the incident which is also the amount of time usually that uh, takes before criminal charges are officially filed with the public prosecutor's office there in Japan. Incidentally, the policy also covers legal consultation for 48 hours for those who are a victim of train groping as well. But what's to say that a groper couldn't get this insurance and say, nope, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, and I have the insurance? And Because wouldn't you think that most men who have this insurance are doing it because they consider themselves... Uh, upstanding, regular, 
non-groping uh, kind of person and I, don't want to be accused of a groper? Right? No, I don't think that. I think most of the people who are getting this false accusation insurance are probably the actual gropers who are looking for an easy out. I think anybody who's a fine, upstanding citizen realizes they don't need this because they're not going to be ever falsely accused because they're not going to put themselves in that sort of position. One final note on, on that, the, the distress signal hotline service can only be used once during their policy period. So if the person finds themselves taken into custody or, or falsely being accused multiple times, uh, they might want to consider walking or biking to work instead. Seriously. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, it's, it's interesting. I, I, I can't imagine having to get that kind of insurance that protects you from being accused of, of doing something bad. I guess there's really no policy for that, is there? In Colorado? Oh, well, in, in the United States. I don't know. I mean, why would it be affordable? Realistically, you know, why would you need it? Even if you are riding on public transportation, most of the time you're not going to get falsely accused of something like that. If you're getting accused of it, you probably did it. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's could you get temporary groping insurance, let's say, if you're a tourist going to Japan? Hopefully. <laughs> because I'm well then again I'm a pretty big guy and uh, all right so I'll tell you the story when I went to uh, New York City one time I remember it was I think during the holidays I was so aggravated by the crowds I was I was really torqued off because I kept being bumped I think we were in Macy's my wife and I and before we had kids and I'm, a, I'm all right I'm a pretty big guy right and so I'm walking down the the middle of the of the row there and I keep getting bumped bump 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 into my legs and into my shoulders and into my side and I just got I got to the point where I was so frustrated with getting bumped all the time that I started walking a little bit more stiff, a little bit more, all right, I'm ready, I'm, I'm now a linebacker. And, and I, I would give, and if men would start coming, I, I'd give them a little shot with my elbow or my shoulder to say, hey, get off, you know, look, you can't just bump into me and I'm just going to, bang, I'm going to give you another shot right back. Absolutely. I mean, I think any man with a temper of any sort has been in those situations where you're like, jostling for a position or something like that and you feel like you have to be a little bit more aggressive as you move forward i'm not saying that's the right thing to do it's just kind of a masculine mentality sort of thing but going back to the groping issue you know it's a shame that it comes to a point where we feel like we need to have all female train cars but the bottom line is that there's a substantial percentage of guys who are going to use a crowded train car as an excuse to try to get away with something that they have no business doing in the first place and don't you think the women would feel safer if they were in a car all with Women, I, I think they would. I would hope so. Yeah, I, 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 I don't think that's see why a better not. option than making all men ride in only male cars, and then because the women, it gives them the option to ride in whatever car they want. Right. Segregate the let the men ride in certain areas. I mean, because they're really basically they're being segregated anyway, and, and without it's calling it an all male car with having a female only car. And then the females can can ride whatever cars they want. They're basically making men only cars as well. Well, in Sweden, they have the there there was discussion about an all female music festival because there were so many instances of guys trying to drug women and rape women and things of that nature. And you know, it, it makes for a catchy headline and it's clickbait and stuff like that. But it also underscores a really serious problem. I mean, guys don't get it mostly because they don't experience it. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. I. I I, that's one of the reasons I like the wide open spaces here in Colorado. Amen. So I mean, nice. it's an unfair thing for us as two white dudes to be talking about almost, right? Yeah. To a certain extent, because neither one of us has really been through that circumstance. So it's, you know, who are we to say whether an all-female train car is better or not? I can make assumptions about it, but you really have to get a female's opinion to get any sort of serious uh, takeaway from it. So I got an email one day recently, and it started off saying, I'm excited to share with you some news about a road safety initiative our organization is taking up this summer. 
We're launching a wide-ranging awareness campaign to bring courtesy back to the road by reminding drivers they share the road with humans, not cars. People behave differently while driving than they would face-to-face with another person. The campaign, called Drive Human, aims to make our roads a lot safer and far less stressful. Summer driving and traffic is very frustrating for millions of Americans. We hope that making people more self-aware of their own habits will make our roads a safer and happier place. Okay, so I was thinking, this is nice and all, but it's not realistic. The guy who sent this to me said he welcomed my feedback, and so being the confrontational jerk that I am, I, I obliged. And this is the reply I wrote to him. I appreciate the efforts you're going through to try to make driving more friendly. However... I am, too, much of a realist for my own good. That said, I believe most, not all, drivers nowadays only act in their own self-interest and have far less feelings for their fellow commuter than ever before. This is why the zipper merge that I promote constantly will never work in the real world. The only way it can work is if everyone in the process of merging wants to make it work. Some drivers are uneducated about how to let one driver go, then another, and so on and so on. But most drivers I see just want to get ahead of the other guy and not let the other driver in. They say out loud in their vehicles, what's that guy doing? Going all the way down there, cutting in front of everyone to merge at the last second. Ooh, I hate that. You may have a point that people don't behave the same in the car as they do outside their car, but that gap is closing very quickly thanks to social media. I wish it wasn't this way, maybe with the evolution and eventual conversion to autonomous cars in 20 years, we will have civility back on our roads. Taking the human element out of driving could be the only way to save ourselves from ourselves. And making people aware that they are selfish on the roads could make them more upset than they already are. Like poking a resting bear, and they wake up to become more terrifying on the roads. I'll take a look at your materials and see if I can get that information in one of my upcoming podcasts. And this guy's email... And all the materials that I looked at had that Cars for Kids logo on it. I'm sure, Joseph, right, you've heard the the Cars for Kids jingle asking you to donate your car to them. I don't have cable or a car, no. no. It's always on the radio. It's always on the radio. 1-800-4-CARS-FOR-KIDS. Sorry, Cars for Kids. Your advertising isn't reaching this guy. Well, maybe I just listen too much radio and I hear it all the time. And now, because now they take boats and RVs and motorcycles and four-wheelers, just about anything with or without wheels. I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't take scooters and skateboards and shopping carts and baby strollers or rollerblades. They even take donations of land now. I'll be happy to donate a shopping cart to Cars for Kids. Unfortunately, that shopping cart will be stolen. (laughs) I don't have any personal dealings with this place or really know anything specific about the organization, only what I read about them. And they have been called scams and are under investigation by, I know, the Minnesota Attorney General for spending less than 1% of the donations they received on kids in Minnesota. And other states' attorneys general are also investigating. I know this. I listen to WABC in the mornings uh, on my uh, phone there. And the Cars for Kids people, they advertise on that Imus in the Morning show. And they spend, what he says, millions of dollars in advertising on that show. Millions of dollars in advertising. I'm always leery of a charity that spends so much money on advertising and less on the work of the charity. Uh, running that jingle on National Network Radio newscasts, you'll hear it at the top of the hour sometimes on ABC or CBS Radio. That's not cheap either. Not at all. And on a personal note, I I just can't stand that spot. It sticks in your head. It's that jingle that's it's terrible. It's so hard to get out. It's, you know, those songs that are hard to get out of your head when, once they're there. 
that's what this jingle is. It's just it just keeps running over and over. But apparently it's effective because they keep running it and they keep getting donations. So anyway, I started looking through the material that the, the guy sent me. And one part of the pitch said, as part of their campaign, they're going to go make partnerships with driver's ed schools and implement a polite driving guide. Okay, indoctrinate the kids already as they're trying to figure out the difference between the turn signal and the wipers. They also produced a video where they say they humorously portrayed what poor driving habits look like when they're not in a car. To be honest, the video was way too long. It was like just a little over two minutes, but it felt like it was ten, and it didn't get to the point to the very end. Anyway, they also provided the national survey questions they asked so they could determine what they call the worst and best states to drive in. This is where all these TV stations and and radio stations around the country got this press release and started doing stories. I think you put it in your newscast, didn't you? You don't have to accuse me like that. I probably did. (laughs) Because that's what they did. They they sold it as this, not only, uh, you know, to drive safer, drive uh, happier, whatever, but also what are the best and worst states to drive in. When you ever get a catchy uh, lead like that, all the news stations will run with it. Here are the survey questions, Joseph, and I'd like to get your answers. All right, so let's hear this survey. Number one, you're driving in a one-lane road with a speed limit of 40 miles an hour. The sedan in front of you is driving at a steady speed of 38 miles an hour with open road ahead. Do you A, pass, B, tailgate, C, maintain a two- or three-second following distance, D, honk and or flash your brights? Depends on my mood. Could be any of A, B, or C, to be honest with you. Usually it's going to be B, tailgate well and air quotes here the right answer is maintain the safe distance but it also depends on if there's a passing lane or not which they didn't indicate here that's true because you can still safely drive around this jerk ball who is driving slow that's that's okay it's okay to go around them if you're in a passing zone right it's also a leap to call the guy who's doing two miles under the speed limit a jerk ball but that's okay we'll let that one slide i agree with you though because i'm picturing the wide open roads in new hampshire where there are passing lanes on those sorts of roads where the speed limit it's 40 miles an hour, and yeah, I'd pass him in one of those sure, situations. As exactly. soon as I see the dotted yellow line, I'm gone. See, there needs to be some more factors that, that need to be specified here. All right, well, let's go on to number two. There's a closed lane up ahead, causing further congestion on an already congested highway. The SUV next to you is signaling its intention to merge into your lane. Do you, A, close the gap between you and the car ahead, B, slow slightly to give the SUV space to get in, C, look over, wave your hand, and allow the SUV in. Or D, studiously avoid eye contact with the SUV's driver and continue inching ahead. Oh, again, depends on my mood. Um, Most of the time it's going to be C. It depends on where he is in relation to me. Like, if we're right next to each other, you're not getting in front of me. I'm sorry. Like, you can wait for the next guy. But if he's, like, half a car length ahead of me, you know what I mean, where I'm kind of looking at his passenger seat, go on ahead. First of all, I would most likely be in the lane that was blocked off and would be going all the way to the choke point and then merge as I'm supposed to. There should be an option in this question that says, teach the jackball that's trying to merge early the zipper effect so we can all get through this mess faster. I think what you're trying to say is there should be an option where you're the SUV, right? Yes. <laughs> when I contacted these people, when I wrote them back, when I mentioned that whole zipper thing, when they wrote back to me, he he had no idea what I was talking about. None. Well, that's because he was. I, I mean, I'm not honest. getting a suit on this podcast. 
Number three, you're in the left lane enjoying a pleasant cruise at the posted speed limit. The flow of traffic across other lanes is faster than the speed limit. A car shows up in your rearview mirror and stays right on your tail for over a minute. Do you A, move to the lane to your right, B, increase your speed, C, tap your brakes and or decrease your speed, D, maintain your speed? A, definitely get out of his way. Or another option should have been, you don't do it at all because you're not the police and it's not your job to slow down the other drivers in the left lane. That's true. I mean, look, if somebody's faster than me in the left lane, I'm going to get over and let them by. Every time. Honestly, slow drivers in the left lane are a hazard to other traffic, even when going the speed limit. Wait, so you're so you're the slowest guy on the road, right? I missed that part of no, the No, no, not me. Well, no. No, but it, but it in is this hypothetical. Ca- yes. I think slow drivers in the left lane are actually way more of a danger than the fast drivers in the left lane. Next time, I should write these questions. All right, anyway, all right, on with the survey. Number four, what do you do when you're in the left lane and suddenly realize your exit is rapidly approaching all the way to the right? Do you A, turn on your blinker and merge right as quickly as possible? B, get off at the next exit? C, make a beeline for your exit? You know the answer to that question. If you're my father, in the good old days, you take option three and barely make it, but still say, oh, there was plenty of time to make that exit. Oh, I'm making that exit. (laughs) Everybody else on the road be damned I'm making that exit. Oh, yeah. No, that was my father. He he did that all the time. I mean, even though we're on the floor screaming and yelling and thinking we're all going to die. That's that California slide, right? Basically. All right, number five. Traffic on a major thoroughfare is heavy and moving slowly. Only a handful of cars creep through the intersection during each light cycle. The light turns yellow as you reach the intersection. The tail of the car ahead of you is just slightly into the intersection. Do you A, stop at the yellow traffic light, or B, proceed through the yellow traffic light? This is going to be another one of those depends on my mood questions, but more often than not, it's going to be A. Like, it's just just not worth it. Why are you going to put yourself in the middle of the intersection if you know you don't have to? I agree, because they must be saying the car ahead is already mostly through the intersection there, but just stopped on the other side, right? Exactly. I like, mean, And you can pretty clearly probably see from your vantage point that you're if you go, you're going to be trapped in that intersection. Yeah, yeah you have to stop, because then you're blocking the right-of-way for the other vehicles, and, and the other vehicles will smash right into you if you pull out. So it seems a bit of a silly question. Yep. I, I, I probably would have gone a different way instead and, and wouldn't have been caught in that traffic jam. All right, number six. Do you signal before turning or merging? A, always, B, usually, C, sometimes, or D, rarely? All the time. Me, depending on the situation. More often than not, I use it, but depending. Like, I was driving to work this morning. I didn't. I used my signal maybe once because there was somebody around me when I was, when I was driving. But otherwise, I, there was nobody else around, and I'm just changing lanes at will. I'll, I'll use a blinker in a parking lot. I'll use the blinker in a drive-thru. I am really? a habitual blinker user. Yes, sir. All right. Number seven, there's a line of cars waiting at a red light. You are continuing straight past the light. The right turning lane is empty. Do you use that lane to go around them? Yes or no? Yeah. Why wouldn't what? I? Why wouldn't I? Why wouldn't I? No, if I was being chased by the cops, then yes, but that's a bad idea. That's fine. I was asked about this move happening in Arapahoe County near Arapahoe and Parker Road by somebody. 
And I contacted them, and they would send deputies every so often out there to patrol this thing. And right after I did the story, they did this uh, sting operation, and they wrote a ton of tickets. Oh, I'm ton. sure they did. It's a bad move. Don't get me wrong, but I, I, why lie about it? I would probably do that. I don't. I I don't think I often enough find myself in position to do it, where I'm a threat to do it on a regular basis. But yeah. All right, number eight. When the right lane is backed up due to heavy traffic at your exit. Do you, A, merge early at the end of the line, B, merge right before the exit, C, stay in your lane until you spot an easy opportunity to merge, D, stop with your blinker until someone allows you in? I merge early. It's not worth it most of the time on the highway. Like, let me just sit. It'll be fine. I really hate diet driver D. I st- the person that'll just stop there in the other lane of traffic and try to merge over and won't even just just stops and blocks traffic. Absolutely. I what I would m- most likely do if it was really backed up and I knew the area, I- I'd probably go up to the next exit, depending on where how far the next exit is, and then turn around. Um, my answer to these hypothetical questions are dependent on really the overall situation. I mean, where are we? How familiar am I with the area? It's not so cut and dry for me, unfortunately. We got caught up in the traffic jam out in Evergreen when the semi caught fire last week. And, uh, yeah, we were sitting in traffic about two miles deep when all of a sudden this guy comes racing up on the shoulder like he's going to beat everybody, like he knows where the shortcut is. And, you know, you just want to reach out of your car window and strangle the guy. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. See, I I realize that I'm a problem, and, and, uh, and so I like to find my own ways around things my wife realizes that as well and your wife does realize that you're a problem yes and she she, (laughs) she reminds me of it all the time all right number nine you've been circling the mall parking lot for a couple of minutes looking for a spot finally you see a car pulling out but there's another car clearly waiting for that spot would you park there yes or no i think this question amounts to are you a jerk and i'm not so no i'll let the guy park there how about taking a space farther away from the front and walking a little bit, fatty? There's no way I'm going to go keep circling and circling a parking lot and wait for the closest spot to open up. I think this is a hypothetical Christmas Eve type thing where the parking lot's completely full and you really are just looking for whatever space you can get. Maybe. At that point, just be a smarter shopper. Yes. Shop online. <laughs> Amazon.com. I mean, honestly, I just... Look, I would take the one in the back, get in the store, get my stuff, and hit the road, Jack. I like to park farther away from the shopping mall entrance anyway because I like to get my steps in. Yeah, me too. There you go. Me too. And number 10, when a car is trying to pass on the left, do you A, maintain your speed, B, increase your speed? Do they mean a car is like passing in a passing zone on yeah. a two-lane highway they or a multi-lane a, interstate? A car is doing the right thing. Do you do the right thing too? I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, and uh, I mean this, psychologically, I think you see the car going faster and you do have a natural inclination to like boost your speed a little bit. Whether you mean to or not, it just sort of happens. Like I know a lot yeah. of times if I'm being passed, I'll up my speed a little bit. Not because I'm trying to beat them or box them out or anything, but just because I notice somebody else going faster. Um, but no, it's not a malicious thing. It's not like I'm speeding up to try to race them. I notice that kind of behavior all the time. I'll be following somebody and then they'll start slowing down. So I get to the lane, especially on the interstates to the lane, to the right or left. And I'm, I'm going around them driving. Let's say I'm going 65. They start slowing to 60 and I go, and I'm still keeping the same speed. And then they see me and then they obviously, then they pick up their speed and it just bugs me. It's a Canadian thing. They don't so? use cruise control. I don't know. If somebody's passing me, what do I care? I'm not Gandalf the Grey. Let them pass. 
I don't understand that reference, but sure. You shall not pass. Remember I, yeah. from the thing from the movie with the guy and the beard and the the ring and the whole. I think you're. Thing? I think you're talking about Lord of the Rings. but yeah, there you I go. don't know because I didn't see those movies. You didn't. Wait. <laughs> we do this every week. What have you seen, man? <laughs> you haven't seen the Lord of the Rings movies? No. No. Honestly? Honestly. Do you know who Darth Vader is? Everybody knows who any, Darth Vader is. Have you seen any of those movies? Uh, the newer ones. I saw Return of the Jedi. You never saw the original uh, Star I've never Wars? seen A New Hope or uh, Empire Strikes Back. I'm going to walk out of this room right now. Well, that's good because the podcast is almost over. So. <sighs> I have a feeling that these cars for kids people that uh, thought this campaign and this survey story was a good way to get the local media like us here uh, to mention their name again and again and again, and that would lead to more donations to their organization. That's, that probably happened. Probably worked. I know our producer. I know. I know. I remember seeing the story somewhere on one of our newscasts. I don't think we credited cars for kids because I don't remember seeing that name, but. Um... I'll tell you what, there's going to be some uh, deeper research going into their habits here in Colorado. Yeah, I, I would hope so. I mean, and look, do what you want. I'm selective when it comes to what organizations I donate to. I never have, never will ever donate to them. But like I said, you know, do what you want. Well, I think neither of us is in position to donate something just for a tax write-off, which is what they're hoping for when right. you're like, donate a car, get a tax write-off. Because you do get, I think it's like 30% of the total value of what you donate becomes a tax write-off yeah. at the end of the day. So with that $10,000 car, that's $3,000. Fantastic. But it's also a car. And to me, the car is more valuable than the tax <laughs> write-off. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm I'm with you on that. Just get the facts before you donate to any organization. Doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. And like Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. If you're going to donate to anything, donate to Vaughn's Vision. It's a great charity that provides eyeglasses to kids who really need them. So. Vaughn's Vision. I just went to the eye doctor the first time in the last, I don't know, two or three years. Because we have this, you know, I've been paying for vision insurance that I haven't used for however long. Right. And uh, the doc said, I'm doing okay. 2020 in the left, 2025 in the right. Uh, but she did say something disturbing to me, Joseph. Going to start needing reading glasses. Well, welcome to my world. I've been wearing glasses since I was a year old. It's uh reading glasses. Not even fifty. Ugh. You you made it longer than most people do. Well, I had that LASIK surgery. I don't know, like fifteen years ago. Uh, okay, that's been working out pretty well for me. Well, you. But I, there are a lot of times that I need a lot of light now, and <sighs> the joys of getting older, Joseph. Mortality, man. Well, I guess that's about it for this edition of the podcast. Seriously, donate to Vaughn's Vision. It's a, it's a heck of a charity. And that's Vaughn Miller you're talking Vaughn about, Vaughn Miller, right? yes, sir. Yeah. Well, uh, until next time. <laughs> I'm the pedestrian advocate, Joseph Peters. And I'm Jason Luber, the traffic guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring. <laughs>